Hey everybody, welcome to RCC at Home. My name's Natasha. If you're newer here and checking us out, make sure you hit that subscribe button and the little bell to be notified when new videos are released here. And if you like the content, give us a thumbs up and share it with some of your friends. Before we get into the service, I just have a couple of announcements for you, starting with the Live It Challenge. Live It is still continuing. It is a great way for you to be encouraged on a Monday morning. Pastor Sam releases it through an email, so if you would like to subscribe, check out the links below. It is just a great tool and applications for you to take what you learn on a Sunday morning and apply it to your week. Also happening here at RCC is our February outreach. We are partnering with the Community Food Pantry to make sure that no one goes hungry in Ripon. If you'd like details on that, check out the description box below. Right now we're about to jump into the service, but oh, if you haven't, fill out a red card. It's a great way to communicate with us as a staff. If you have any prayer requests or comments, that's where you can leave your information. Have a great Sunday or whenever you're watching this. Bye! Hey RCC family, welcome to RCC at Home. My name is Sam, I'm one of the pastors here and it is so good to be with you wherever you're listening from. Happy Valentine's Day if you're listening to this on Sunday. I hope you enjoy your day and hope you feel loved today. In the spirit of Valentine's Day, I want to start today with a story. I want to tell you a story. Uh, story starts with, with a couple guys, right? Two young men, they are vying for the heart of the fairest of women. And so this woman, she's trying to figure out who of these two men should I marry? And, and so she says to the first man, the first man comes to her and she's like, I love you. He, he's so enamored with her. He says, I'll do anything for you. And the woman thinks to herself, I've got an idea. She says to the man, you know, you see that, you see that mountaintop over there? You, you know where that mountaintop is? Why don't you hike on up to the top of that mountaintop? And up on that mountaintop are the most beautiful flowers. Pick me a bouquet of those flowers and then bring them back down the mountaintop to me and, and you will have my hand in marriage. Now, this young man, he, he, he sees that mountaintop. And he's like, whew, that's really, really high. That, that's, that's super high. I don't think I can do it. So the second man comes and, and begins to talk to this woman. He's like, I think you're the most wonderful thing. I want to marry you. I want to be with you. I think you're so incredible. And, and so she says to this man, you know what? Same thing. You see that mountaintop up there? It has the most beautiful flowers. Why don't you go up to that top, of the, the top of that mountaintop, pick me a bouquet of the most beautiful flowers, come back and give them to me, and I will give you my hand in marriage. And the, the second man, he says, yes, absolutely, I will do anything for you. I will go to that mountaintop. I will get you those flowers, and I will bring them down to you, and we will be married. And so he leaves that room, and he walks out, and he goes back home, and he sits on his couch. Now, the first man, he had left saying no, but that mountaintop just kept, just kept calling to him. So he hiked up to the top of the mountain. He picked the most beautiful bouquet of flowers. He came back down and he gives them to the woman. And I want to ask you, which, which man does the woman choose to marry? The one who got her flowers, of course. That's, that's the one that he's going to marry. 
Now, this actually isn't my story. It's, it's actually Jesus' story. And you might be thinking to yourself, like, that's, that's crazy. Like, there wasn't even Valentine's Day that long ago. But, but it actually is Jesus' story. Just the details are switched up just a little bit. It's found in Matthew 21, 28 through 30. And this is what it says. It says, But what do you think about this? Jesus is talking to this grouping of religious leaders. They're hanging on his every word, trying to figure out what he's saying, and, and trying to decide if they like him or not, basically. And so Jesus tells him this story. He says, But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, No, I won't go. But later, he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, You go. And he said, Yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. But he didn't go. And so Jesus looks out at his crowd and he asks the question, which of the two boys obeyed his father? And they all answer, the first young boy, the, the first one, the, the one who actually went out into the field, that's the one, of course, who, who listened to his father. And so Jesus is beginning to teach the people that are, are there with him that he's teaching. He's, he's saying appearances and words don't matter nearly as much as heart and actions do. Now this is actually just a warm-up parable for Jesus. Jesus is actually telling two parables in a row and they're connected. And Jesus tells it just before the one that we're going to really be focusing on today to set the stage for us. And, and let's just say that these two parables together, they're the equivalent of what I like to call fighting words. Have you ever heard of Fighting words, not fighting words, but fighting words. I think that's the proper way to say it. You got to know that these are fighting words. I'm wondering, do you know what fighting words are? Uh, for me, when I think of fighting words, fighting words are the kinds of things that are said that on the surface, they really don't seem like they should be very offensive. But if you feel like they're said against you, they become a reason to fight. They're words like... I guess I'll do the laundry for the seventh time this week, said to no one in particular, even though you're in the room. Or, what did you do all day? Or maybe, uh, you're wearing that? Okay. Or how about this one? How about, I thought you'd said you'd be ready in about five minutes. Those are fighting words. <laughs> Those are what I think of as fighting words. On the surface, they seem just fine, like normal things that you would say. But if they're said against you, those are fighting words. <laughs> fighting words, excuse me. Jesus is using fighting words. He, he doesn't even mince his words about it. When Jesus is telling these two parables, he's speaking to the religious folk, the religious leaders. He's talking to the to the prim and proper crowd, the ones that have every button buttoned up, the ones who know, know all the words to every special prayer, the ones who, and you know these people, the ones who seem holy and they know it. People who, honestly, if we're not careful, can look a whole lot like us. And I said, Jesus doesn't mince his words, Check out what he says next. It's in Matthew 21. It's 31 through 32. It says this. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. 
Talk about being in that audience. <laughs> That's crazy. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. This first parable, it sets the scene for us. Jesus is talking with these, this religious elite, and he's telling them, you guys say the right stuff, but your hearts, they just aren't in it. Your actions, they, they don't follow your words. And you have to know, Jesus is just getting warmed up. If you think that those are fighting words, you've got to hear what comes next, because the next one is even more tough to listen to. But before I can tell you that, we need to have, uh, I'll call it like a movie flashback. You know when you're watching a TV show or a movie and, and all of a sudden they cut to a scene of the, the main character's childhood and suddenly when you see what happened to, to them as a child, everything in the scene you were just watching suddenly makes so much more sense. We gotta, we gotta do this for a moment because the backstory of the people listening to Jesus in this moment helps this next parable make so much more sense. For, for hundreds of years, God had guided this whole nation called Israel. He'd done everything to keep them on the right path. He'd given them a king with a good heart, you know, David, the one who slayed Goliath. Then as they started to wander away, he sent prophet after prophet after prophet, all to tell them basically, hey, you're not living right. You're too full of yourselves. You're worshiping things that aren't me. You're not honoring me how you should. Turn back to me, and then I'll get back to, you know, blessing your socks off again. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he says to these people. And they'd say, they'd hear this, these people of God, Israel, this nation, they'd, they'd hear this prophet often, and they'd say, yes, you know what? You're right, God. We're going to follow you. You were ready to do it. And then they wouldn't. And then they wouldn't. They even, if they really didn't like something, they'd even kill some of the prophets with that message because they were so upset by it. They, they didn't agree. They didn't like it at all. And so they, they'd literally kill these people, these prophets, all because they didn't like what they were being told. And now, and now here comes Jesus, and he's telling them, your heart and your actions, they matter more than your words and appearance. And it launches him then into the parable that we're going to talk about the most today. It's Matthew 21. It continues right from where we left off. It's 21:33, and this is, is what it says. And a quick note, I'm going to read the first couple of verses, and I'm going to kind of talk us through this, because it's got some really interesting points. It says this in 33. Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. Now, quick notes on this. We have to know that this is not just a number of random grape plants put in the ground and said, hey, take care of these. This is a vineyard. This is a beautifully constructed, well-thought-out vineyard. It had a wall around it. It had a lookout tower. It had a place to, to make the wine. It was, it was an established thing. And, and that's not a small feat. I actually know a thing or two about this. My, my brother, many of you might know, he owns and operates a vineyard and winery just outside of town. 
And I was with him when he was planting those first first vines, and, and that was honestly the easiest part. It's been years and years in making this a, a proper winery, and, and it's an amazing place out there. If you haven't seen it, it's beautiful. But it's like that, right? This guy has set up this amazing vineyard and winemaking place, and, and he's saying, here it is. It's exactly how, is it, how it should be. Now all you need to do is take care of it, and then when you sell the wine, you get some of it, and I get some of it. That's crazy. It's an astronomical amount of work that he did to put that into place and to make it exactly how it should be. And so that's where it is, right? That's how we, excuse me, that's how we've got it. And so let's keep going. Let's see what happens next. Matthew 21, 34 36. So they've got, the, they've got the farm. They're taking care of the grapes. And it says, at the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants, the, the owner, to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him. But the results were the same. So things, they, they didn't go as planned, right? Tenant farmers, they, they start to act a bit differently. They start acting like they own the place. They lose respect for the owner. They, the owner had entrusted them with this wonderful setup, but they lost respect for him. They, they believe that they have the right to claim the profits exclusively for themselves. Even though the whole place was given and entrusted to their care with an agreed payment plan. But that's not the end of the story. It gets more crazy than that. It gets more shocking than that. In the coming verses, it says this. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard, and murdered him. His own son. That would have been shocking. Now, it's important when we read Jesus' parables to note something. Jesus' parables, they, they served a number of purposes. There, there's a few different kinds of parables that he would tell. Some, they, they would give moral direction. Like, this is how you should treat people, how you should care for people. Think, think Good Samaritan. That's one kind of parable. Second is this, there, there's other ones that are more about, they're not necessarily moral parables about how you should live, they, they more so describe what the kingdom of God is like. They're not about how to live, they're about how Jesus' kingdom works and how magnificent it is and how worth finding this. Think of the parable of the buried treasure and the pearl and, and the yeast and the mustard seed. That's a second kind of parable. And there's a, a third kind of parable and that's what we're talking about today. These ones do two things. First, they, they display people's actual motives and hearts for what they are. They uncover them. And secondly, they also show people who Jesus is and what's going to happen to him. He's, he's predicting with the parable. This is one of those parables. So Jesus, he's, he's told this story, and it's got this shocking ending, and he finishes, and, well, he finishes in typical Jesus fashion with a question. Here's the question. He asks, when the owner of the vineyard returns, what do you think he's going to do to the farmers? 
And his listeners, they've been tracking with the story the whole time, and they respond, well, of course, he's going to put the wicked men to this horrible, awful death and lease the vineyard to others who are actually going to do what they're supposed to do and give him his share of the crop each harvest. And that's the right answer, isn't it? I mean, that's what they deserve. Remember how we define fighting words? They're the words that on the surface don't seem offensive unless you believe that those words are actually said against you. These were fighting words and the religious leaders knew it. They realized it. They, they were well aware. Because the character, characters in the parables, they had, they had very obvious people that correlated to that they were correlated to. For example, the owner of the vineyard is, is pretty obviously God. And the vineyard itself is the nation of Israel, God's chosen people who he had guided through so many years. The servants that were sent to collect what was rightfully the owner's, rightfully God's, those were the prophets sent over so many different years trying to help people to see that it was God who was blessing them, God that they should honor. And then... And then there are the tenant farmers. These are the religious leaders, the people who had led the people astray. And the son in the story, well, it's pretty obviously that's, that's Jesus. And they knew this. The religious leaders that were listening then, they knew this. They, they knew this. It says so in just a few verses later. It says, when the leading priests and Pharisees heard this parable, they realized he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. They wanted to arrest him but they were afraid of the crowds who considered Jesus to be a prophet. Those are fighting words. So let me ask you, are you offended? Because if you remember, Jesus is telling this parable to the buttoned up religious people. The ones who think they've got it all figured out and, and have a handle on who God is and, and what they believe God wants. And they're so good with their words, as I'm sure the tenant farmers in Jesus' parable would have had to have been. They would have probably said, oh, sure, we'll give you the, the share of the crop. We'll take care of the farm. It's fine. But when harvest comes, not so much. Do you remember the story that Jesus started with, the two sons? One says no, but ends up doing the right thing. One says yes, but doesn't do it. These parables, they go together. They're, they're saying the same thing in two ways. This is what they're saying. God is more concerned with your actions and the heart that those actions, actions show than with hollow words or a good image. This past year has, has been a difficult one. Uh, for all of us, I mean, for you, for me, for being in ministry, it's been a tough year. And I'm sure a lot of you can say the same thing about wherever you're at and whatever life has thrown at you. It, is, it has not been easy. And it's occurred to me that it's been a season of, of being able to maybe see people's actions for what they are more than people's words for what they are. Maybe you've experienced the same thing. And we can spend the next hour or the next weeks trying to figure out whether, whether we're the tenant farmers in the story, entrusted with something and instead keeping it for ourselves, or if we're the brother that, that went into the field or the one who just said that he would. 
or for somebody else. We can, we can point fingers and say, you're the Pharisee, or you're not getting this faith in Jesus thing right, or whatever else. Or we can go out into the field. We can climb the mountain and pick some flowers for your wife, your friend, for some people who need them. We can give back to God what's, what's rightfully his, our worship, our gratitude for the utterly immense goodness he's blessed us with. We can share God's love and, and encourage people to live how Jesus teaches us to live. We can share the winds and pick each other up when we're in the trenches. We can do that. If you're convicted by Jesus' words, it's, it's not too late. The point isn't to point fingers. The point is to let the conviction draw you closer to Jesus. Tenant farmers, they killed the son in the story. The Pharisees, they hung Jesus on a cross, but what they didn't realize was that his death on the cross was the thing that would reveal the greatest love this world has ever seen. These, these parables, they reveal a person's heart. They reveal either we're the type of people who, who say the right thing but then don't care enough to do it. They reveal if we care so much about what we claim is ours that we can't even recognize when Jesus shows up to remind us of where all the goodness in our life comes from, from God. Or they can reveal the opposite. That we might mess up. We might have gone our own way before, but today... We're headed into the field. We're ready and willing to follow God's lead that we can recognize Jesus' convicting words that we're ready to get to work. Let's be the people who respond to the love revealed by Jesus on the cross. Let's be those kinds of people. This week, what if? What if we were more action than words? What if we took the time to reflect on who gave us this life and the good blessings in it rather than hoard it for ourselves and never feel like it's enough? What if we encouraged each other and let Jesus do the convicting? What if we took steps today and all week to align our character and our actions and most importantly our hearts with Jesus? What if we invited others to know the transformed and good new life that Jesus offers? If we do those things, if we do those things, I know God will do incredible things through us. If you want to live that way this week, I invite you to pray with me as we close. Would you pray with me? Dear God, it's been a crazy year, and I'm not sure when the craziness will end. Maybe never, because it's life. But you are a good God. And we know that when we follow you and we listen to you, you convict us. You show us the changes that need to be made in our lives. Help us to recognize those in ourselves. And then follow you and head out into the field to do the work and the good things that you want us to do with a changed heart. And then, God, help us to live that way every day and invite others into it as well. To live this life knowing that it is a gift from you and that we can be grateful for it and that we can share the goodness of it with others, with others, and with, our, with our lives and our actions and with a pure heart. We are so grateful that you give us this ability. Help us to know you and to love you and to love others because of it. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, RCC. I hope that you enjoyed the service today and that you got a lot out of it. But I have a question for you as we conclude. Here it is. Where's your heart today? I know that's a tough question. So here's what Jesus says about where your heart is in the Bible. It's in the book of Matthew. It's chapter 6, and it's verse 21. It says, Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. That's Jesus. He's right, as always. It's Jesus. And if you think about it, it, it does make sense. Your heart goes wherever your investments go. Your, your, your thoughts go wherever your investments go. For example, if you invest in a stock, you suddenly think about that stock all the time. I've done it before. I, I know that's to be personally true. You watch if it's going up or it's going down, if the business is doing well or if it's not. You're thinking about the time. And your heart's there too because you so badly want that business to succeed. So I'm happy that you are considering investing financially in what God is doing through RCC. The reason is because if you do, if you invest financially, Jesus says your heart will follow. And that's what really makes a difference, is we all band together to support and carry out everything that God calls this church to do. God doesn't need your money, we know this, but he does need your heart. He says in the Bible that if he has your heart, then he has your giving too. As you invest here and your heart for the ministry grows, you will be sure that the work of God is getting done and done in ways that please him. That's actually one of the values here at RCC. Now you can go to rccsunday.com anytime you want and you can, you, can, you can click on our values and see what those are. But also at rccsunday.com, you can click on the icon to give. There's, there's the word give at the top, there's an icon on the bottom right. And, and you can click on that and invest in this ministry. You can also leave a prayer request. You can fill out a red card and ask a question. It would be great to hear from you. I hope that you have a great week this week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week.